0: As far as the GAA are concerned, in this matter, it's nothing to do with the individual teams. This is to do with the GAA protecting its own rules, protecting its own reputation. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. So the former Limerick hurler, Barry Hennessy, retired from the inter-county game just before the Christmas. Four All-Ireland medals safely in the back pocket. And I'm delighted that Barry is with us now. Thanks for joining us, Barry. Thanks a million for having me. It's a, I was going to say it's a cold January evening, it's a mildish uh, January evening. Is this the sort of evening a month into retirement where you're going, thank Christ I'm not heading out there for the slog, the league starting in 10 days, or is there a bit of you going, oh, would have been nice to blow off a bit of steam on a Thursday evening?
1: It uh, would have been nice, though. No, I think um, realisation kind of kicked in there a couple of weeks ago of uh, the, the the final decision, I suppose it's called. But uh, uh, look, you miss the routine part of it, I think, the most. Uh, Raquel and Nicole even, though might, uh, you might miss it all that much, but you miss the, the routine element and, of course, you miss the boys then as well, I'm sure. Life goes on,
0: Nathan. It it is quite the routine as well for a player who's been in the Limerick squad consistently for the last nine years and for, what, three or four years before that even uh, in and out of the squad. So well over a decade in and around the Intercounty game. And in that most unusual of positions of being the backup goalkeeper, where you're not always getting the game time at the end of the week that the other guys are striving towards. The final decision to go, considering you know we're all talking about Limerick are going to win four in a row. They're going to win five in a row. They're going to be the greatest team that has ever existed in the game of hurling. Uh, the thought process into now's the time to step away. What was behind it?
1: I uh, look, I suppose I've had I've had a fantastic um, I suppose opportunity first and foremost to be in the position that I was in. It was a real privilege. Um, and especially being with the group over the last five years and with John and, and the lads like, you know, that it's just extremely privileged to be in that position. And I suppose, look, we've two two girls under two hope and Pippa. Um was a part of my decision. I it probably was, you know, they're only small for so long and I felt I just had a good run of it. Um I also said to myself that I'd step away when I felt that I couldn't offer more. Um I still probably felt that I could offer another year maybe to it, but again, when I look back at it, I would have said at what cost, you know, and that cost would have probably been a little less time at home um, and another year of missing uh, your your small two up. So, I suppose, when when I look back on everything, I was quite content and quite happy with, with everything I, I received out of the game, you know, and everything I'd given then as well. Like, there's there's no regrets there. So,
0: the uh, two girls at home is one that's come up a few times over the last few weeks with uh, player retirement injuries and trying to get that balance and it's such a cliche at this stage of it a, of a being a, a young man's game. Limerick has always struck me over the last few years under John Kylie as somewhere that gets a real sense of balance and like players always talk about the fun and wanting to get into the gym and it not been a chore at all and been around mm. your mates. It, when you sat down and spoke with John Kylie, how did that conversation go of you know well could you do less training sessions could you step back a little bit or is it all in or nothing
1: uh, look I suppose I'd be very black and white that when you're either 100% committed to it or you're not like, because if you're not 100% committed to it that's when standards start to drop and that's when the little cracks start to form and the chasing pack just close in that extra percent in you know. So look, I suppose John was probably a little bit shocked that I caught him uh, I caught him on the night before I was supposed to actually report back for training. Um <laughs> so I'd say he was a little bit shocked at that. But um no, in fairness to John, look, he he's an extremely fair individual. You know, he understands completely that lads are they're human, they've lives outside of of what happens inside in the pitch as well. And I think you've seen um just the, the sort of person that he is. In the last couple of weeks, especially with the lads that have gone travelling, and that he's had no issues with that, you know, and he's encouraged them to go and explore these things because he knows the sacrifices that lads make. So and it was the same in my case, you know, John has two girls at home as well. He knows how important it is and you know, I suppose family's mastery important to him as well, you know. So he understood completely, you know, and it was you you highly respect him for that.
0: We've had a long line of uh, Kilkenny hurlers' retirement injuries through the years, and there's a shake of the head when you ask about the conversation with Cody, and it's a it's a short conversation. <laughs> and uh, you had a good run of it, and you know there was no hug or anything like that at the end. What's what, what's John Kylie? What's that sort of what's that conversation like with him?
1: I know it, it was great, like because like for me, John, he said so many nice things. Like that, you mightn't get the opportunity to, to say it to someone. Uh, throughout the years because it's you know, when you're in you're in you're on you're on like you know but so, you, know, you don't get that time to sit back and breathe and have those conversations with him so in fairness to John he showed like what the gentleman that he is you know everything was everything I couldn't have asked yeah. for more you know sort of like you know and it, it really put my mind at ease because I suppose it was the most uh, nerve-wracking phone call I think I've ever had to make in my life so you know but he understood completely and the the support that I got from him and you know, the rest of the lads and the uh, our coaches and even the county board and people in Limerick, like you know, it was, it was truly humbling to be honest. So,
0: have you left the WhatsApp group?
1: Yeah, um, I suppose I had the message written, the message written for the, the main group, and uh, I just fired them into the two groups and just left straight away after that. I didn't even give the lads a chance say, to read them, I was gone before that. <laughs> um, I think then it was the we had a separate group with uh, the players and Caroline and Caroline actually removed me from that group then and I was like oh this is definitely <laughs> happening so, uh, I think that was it no turning back no so, so,
0: so, so ha- well, how many WhatsApp groups do you have down in Limerick I can't tell you it's inside secret ha- you haven't left all of them <laughs> the ones where there's a bit of crack to be had you've remained uh, yeah, in that yeah. it's, it's interesting that you waited until the night before the return to training because December traditionally would have been a time for player retirements in the old season but obviously it's, it's a long time since Limerick completed the three in a row it's obviously something then that you were debating long and hard both probably in your head and with the family as to what you were going to do, what, when you were weighing up the pros and cons, was it simply was it a time management thing
1: and uh, not necessarily. I think it was just going back to what I said about being 100% all in. Like, you have to be 100% in. Like, Limerick is such a high performance setup that you would be 100%, 100% invested into that. You know, then you have the family at home. You have no choice to be 100% invested in that, especially when the, the girls are so small. And I suppose I'm very lucky that um, Elaine, my wife, is very supportive and had said to me, that, look, she's still out on maternity leave, that she's not going back to work until May, June. We could have met at work. But again, now there's two, and it would have been a little bit unfair in her to supposed to pick up the slack and have to put two to bed now as opposed to one and you know i'm not back in the door till 10 o'clock and you're gone early than the following morning and you know you mightn't see the girls for a couple of days because of gym sessions and pitch sessions and all that so and anyway, i waited up and look at the end of it all when the hurling's over your family are going to be there for you you know so that was probably the biggest factor for me like so
0: john Kylie, i'm sure had had come to rely on you massively both as the number 16 and as the backup to Nicky Quaid but also as as somebody who could really push Quaid to the, the heights that he's got to over the last few years and never let him rest on his laurels at all and probably a real confidant to, to Quaid. That role then that you've had over the last eight nights I'm not sure when was the last time you played a, a championship game. 2015
1: I'd say uh, 2015.
0: Which is a remarkable amount of games considering how successful Limerick have been that you've been there what have you been doing since 2015? Have you been waiting for your chance? Are you sitting there waiting every day for your opportunity, watching every movement of Nicky Quaid? Is he is there a little strain? Am I am I ready to come on? Or do you move? When do you move past that to actually? Let's let's not think about that now. I have a different role within this group.
1: Yeah, I suppose look, it's kind of a mixed role really because I I've said to a couple of people you kind of liken it to the NFL and and being you no know, I can't say veteran because myself and Nicky are the same age but um, you're like that. That, that veteran quarterback that's sitting there just, you know, not necessarily acting as a mentor, but you're watching what's going on, you know, you're helping and supporting as best you can. And I suppose look, I understood my role in it and was um I understood that Nicky's probably the best goalkeeper in the country at the moment. Um and I'll argue that with anyone. Um, but I knew understood my role was to make sure that he was performing at his best, you know, and to support him whatever way I could. Um, whether that's the night he's having a little bit of an off night and, you know, identifying that and helping him through it and or the nights that he's on song and I know that I can push him that little bit harder. And um, because at the end of the day, if he's performing well, it's it's a reflection on me and said so David McCarthy last year as well, um and Jason Glad the year previous, you know, that reflected very good in us and I think it was even Sean and Nicky's performances like he's been extremely Consistent and extremely solid um, over the last few years, especially at you know So, uh, look, that's that's to take out of it. Like you know your role, um, hmm. and like you, you have the best seat in the house, then as well because you're you're going up against probably the six best forwards um, Limerick have ever had. You you, do, you do know
0: your role, and you become uh, adapted and you realize the benefit you bring to the team. But at the same time when you, you come into the squad in those first couple of years and like as a twist of fate, I think your dad found himself in a similar position mm-hmm. at one stage. Uh, he was the backup to, to Joe Quaid back in the in the mid-90s. The you have that same dreams, that same desire as any young Limerick player to play for your county, to represent your county, to be the one that ends that famine since 1973. I'm sure when you went into the squad that that was your your driving force?
1: Oh, definitely. Look, I suppose to, to sugarcoat it, like you did, you had to start and you got in, especially after getting in when I did in 2014 when TJ brought me back in that time. Um, I suppose I'd been out in the wilderness for a couple of years at that stage and probably had not resigned to the fact that I mightn't get the go of it. But um, I just had said to myself, this could not happen, this might not happen for you, and you just have to be ready for that too. And just a bit of good club form got me back in there. Um, and then like that at the start, look, we did as a number three. Um, did you have those moments where you thought about geez, you wish Nicky got injured or the fellow lady who got injured? It was Aaron Murphy at the time or they made a mistake, whatever. I think once the mentality in the squad started to shift um towards the end of sixteen to seventeen into John's time, you know, there was a massive culture and emphasis put on the team and like egos, like egos are poison within a group, and if you carry an ego into a group, um, it just gets infectious, and that's when, that's when things just fall apart, you know. And let's start playing for themselves as opposed to playing for the team. Like so, like your mindset shifts completely to it's the team. No, no one's bigger than the team. And I think especially with this Limerick group, there's no moaning or whining if lads aren't getting, you know, if they're not getting a start. They Know what their role is, you know, they know what they're contributing to, you know, they believe in, I suppose, the bigger picture and the greater force, they know what are contributing in that aspect, and you know, and lads are are happy to do that, you know, and I think that's why the group has been so successful, and you know, no no different to me. Like, I knew what I was contributing to, I knew whether it was pushing Nicky or exposing the the forwards, the Pocos. You could be on Murphy one week before you play Kenny, you could be in a Murphy the the next week or Pat Collins, you know, and you, you were trying to style your pocos like those so the boys got exposure to that like so um that's I was you know, as I said, I was privileged to be in the position I was in, considering there's so many other goalkeepers in Limerick that would have loved to be in there. And you know, if that was my role, I happily accepted that.
0: Would you allow yourself a, a moan and a whine over the course of a season? Would you get into TJ Ryan or John Kylie's ear once a year and say, you know, just to be clear, I'm I'm willing to sacrifice and I get I'm putting my ego to one side and all of that and I'm willing to work for the team but just so you know I want to start
1: I oh, know look they know that and I think you shouldn't be in a, a group like that if you're not you know, driven that way like you know um, any high, high performance setup. You know, lads want to play um, and lads are going to do whatever they can to play and I suppose I'd always said to John look John I'm, I'm ready you know there's, there's never going to be a question if I'm not ready I probably wasn't ready in 2015 when I got my opportunity that time and I didn't take my opportunity you know because I wasn't 100% ready um, why, weren't, why weren't you ready? I just, I suppose, look, little things. I hadn't played 70 minutes, you know, ever for Limerick, like, and kind of thrown him when he got injured that time against Clare. And just, it was, it was, it was daunting. Like, it was a championship. It was heated battle stuff. Like, you know, you never really experienced it. And I suppose Tipperary again didn't go well for me either. Um, so look, I, I probably didn't capitalize on the opportunity that I got. Um, and a lot of growing, a lot of development over the next few years. And, you know, obviously got better and more experienced and was able to handle those situations. But look, it was always, I said to John that, if there's five minutes to go on, I'll learn and I'll earn the final Nicky goes down and we're you know we're a point down and said, I'm ready Her a point up, I'll I'll close it off feel like I'm ready for it. So mm. it, it,
0: it reminds me of the conversation we have around Johnny Sexton and building up to the World Cup as to should you give players the air miles now and take the hit in the Six Nations so that if 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 he were to get injured during a World Cup, they're ready. Over the last four or five years then, despite the fact you weren't quite getting as as many air miles and as much time did you feel through the work you were doing in training that if Nicky Quaid did pick up an injury the morning of an All Ireland final or go down twenty minutes into the game, that you would be in a position that you could go out and give your best self?
1: 100 percent, then like a, like you, we do a lot of training, like you know, and I suppose it doesn't. I know it's not live ammo such like, but. We do. We be. Well, I just keep saying we, you know, I'm still there. But uh, when I was inside, um, we'd start before the lads, You know, we'd have an hour done probably before they come on the pitch. We do another little bit then, and if we'd uh, integrate into the sessions, then we would. But like we, we'd a lot of work done. Like, um, and it's a lot of reps too. You know, like a lot, a lot of reps. Especially myself, the Nikki done over the years. Like, you know, so I like think I suppose that muscle memory and it kicks in then from there. Like, and so you, know, you, you've seen scenarios. You've worked with Shawnee and video analysis. You know, you've worked with Paul. You know what you're going to face like so you've home, your homework done um and like i suppose the lads i like to have confidence in me that if anything ever, ever did happen that you know, you'd fit into the role seamlessly like i mean i think my opportunities, i like to think especially in the latter years that you know i i put my hand up to say look i'm i'm performing and um, you know so
0: most goalkeepers well the cliche is most goalkeepers are mad but most goalkeepers are are also methodical in what they do that yeah they have the routine they stick to it as as you're your focus and your attitude maybe changed and you realize that your position had changed and, you know, part a big part of that was getting the best out of Nicky. Would, your, would you stick religiously still to the same process you would have when you came into the squad? Like, pre-match warm-up, would it have been the same thing in your head, thinking, I need to be ready if he gets injured in 10 minutes? Or are you thinking, actually, I need to make sure he's ready for this game?
1: I oh, know, when I came into the squad the first time, I didn't like, but my my head used to be melted like you'd be not that I'm an anxious person or anything but like you would have so much self-doubt you know that are you good enough to be here and like that was all the way up even to to 2017 into 2018 like um you're kind of saying geez I'm I'm bluffing it here like you know um fake it till you make it as they say and like I think it was the first time I actually felt that I was good enough to be here was after actually the trip to New York where we played over um, and actually played really well over there and then got a couple of um games off the back of that in the Munster League. I think I started four or five games in a row, which i would never done for Limerick, you know, at a senior level. Um and I like those four or five games finally gave me that, that inner confidence in myself that, you know, you, you are good enough to be here. Like, right. you know. But it, it, it took it took till nearly the end of my career for me to finally not well accept I suppose that you're that you are a the fender to be here, like, you know. So like as I got older then I actually enjoyed it a lot more and um, learn to relax a little bit more and it's just there about Nikki. like you know you, as I said you've been training so long together that in the warm-up you knew when to push the gas and when to just ease off do you know that if he needed that little bit of a breather or he needed 10% off that shot you, you know in the warm-up you, you knew it because you could just read each other so well at that stage so
0: yeah it's fascinating that it took so long. Considering, like when you first came in, it was I think the year of the strike around twenty ten, mm. and so you'd had game time. You've obviously playing at a really high level with your club in Kilmallock. You played in an All Ireland final during that period as well. That it still takes another four or five years been in the squad full time, and you still have a bit of imposter syndrome that you're still not quite comfortable.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's made really anything think about it. it's it's probably you look back at in the earlier years you probably didn't enjoy enjoy them as much as you did the latter years. now it's easier to enjoy them I suppose when you're winning. Um, but yeah, you kinda as you said there, you that little bit of imposter syndrome like this you question that if you were called upon, were you ready and, you know, were you going to make a fool of yourself? Were you going to let your family down or your friends down or the, the team down which was worse again, you know, so you were kinda driven by that that fear in one sense. But um I yeah, no look, those streaming games as I said in twenty twenty off the back of that. Um coming off from New York and there was a little there was always kind of a speed bumps even that time. Um, my granddad actually died uh the, the week we were going to play Tip and buried him on the I think we played Tip in the Get Crown's the first one in the Monster League. We played him on the Friday night, I think. And we literally buried him on Friday. and um, right. I think he was only he was only after going into the ground about at half four, quarter to five and I literally had to get into my to my garage with Get the Crown's like but I knew I was starting and I knew I had an opportunity like and oh, he was a tip man as well so he'd obviously definitely want <laughs> to meet the play. Like, um but, you know, like, things like that, like, there was little bits like that to just, you know, to stick in your head to saying, look, you get over this adversity. You went out and you put in a performance that night. And, you know, you were just happy to, to, to get that shift and put in the shift for the lads as well. So. Uh,
0: that line you had earlier about ego and poison, is is that a Caroline line or is that a John Kylie line?
1: Neither. Um, being honest, I don't think anyone, neither of them have mentioned the ego um, ever, I think, in the squad. I don't think it was ever, um, never needed to be mentioned. And, um, I think very similar to Alex Ferguson's dressing room. John had kind of structured, the, I suppose, the value system in the group um, and the culture in the group. Very, very similar to that. And not that it was police probably as heavily. We know Ray going around the place, button walls or anything. But, um, you know, lads, lads new when to just maybe pull a lad back and just say, look, keep the feet in the ground out here a little bit. Or John mentor that younger lad that was coming in, that might be showing a lot of promise. You know, and just put, show him the ways or show him how to... I suppose carry yourself as a yeah as a, a Limerick hurler, you know, and this is the value system that we have. These are our beliefs, you know, that this is the this is the path. No, like you know, this is this is what you follow. So, um, how, how did you how did there. you
0: do that? Because for so long, like we looked at Limerick and the feeling that the talent was always there, but it does feel it was the culture shift that John Kiley brought through. When you look at the change, and like TJ Ryan was such a popular figure as well, but the shift that happened. When Kylie came into the camp, and the emergence of of all these natural leaders, it felt like then incredibly gifted hurlers as well, who you have to assume were were always just there in in Limerick, but we never fully got to see what they could do. What is the magic that Kylie brought into that dressing room? Uh, like, I don't think there was like
1: there's no real secret that people always ask you what was it or what's your secret. Like, I, like genuinely, Ned, the first thing was hard work. Do you know, just literally hard work, hard work, hard work. Um, Couldn't say it enough. Like 2017, when we lose Kilkenny and we were inside Nolan Park after. And like we put in a big shift that year. And I remember John coming in after saying, you know, we'll be back next year. But we're going to even have to work harder. And I remember Gavin and Matt, he was sitting beside me and Gavin's cousin, Wayne, and that actually turned out to be his last game for Limerick as well. And I was just there looking, going, how are we got to work harder? Like I said, I couldn't. You know, we did so much work that year. And just literally... It was, it was just like the foundation had been laid in 17, you were back in 18, you know you were lit that little bit stronger, joined, your hurling was a little bit more crisper. And then when the work was laid, was just laid out in front of us, lads just took it and they just worked hard. There was no moaning, lads got on with it, lads pushed each other. Um, because like as I said previously, there's an incredible group of driven lads there that just want the best for themselves and they want the best for the team more importantly. Um, and I think that, that friendship and that t- togetherness and that team culture was the big thing that John just, he just kept care between the lines and just made sure that lads were gelling, that lads were working for each other and because at the end of the day, John could have the best tactics, they're standing on the sideline, it's 15 lads in the pitch that have to look around to each other and go, right, we're doing it for each other, let's dig each other out here, Do you know, you're you're driving it, so, and John was always a big emphasiser that, like that, the lads driving it, not them, so.
0: The lads took to what you said there, which seems to come up a lot when we talk about this sort of golden generation. Shane Dowling said something similar about Kyle Hayes, Keen Lynch, Grode Hegarty, that they were ready-made for senior hurling when they arrived in, both maybe in physicality. But also in mentality that they were ready for what John Kiley wanted from them. Mm. You you know you've come from uh, it's some tough days right at <laughs> the start in 2010 to, to that. Uh, it, it, it's 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 quite a quite a leap in terms of uh, standards and expectations around the camp.
1: Yeah, I hope I get the same punditry career that Shane Dolan had. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> using, using off the ball as his launch, but <laughs> uh, look, I suppose my myself and Nicky's and even Graham's and um, they're like us we wouldn't have had the academy we were very little underage I think the last thing we won was a shield under 16s was the you know I of that I had a Limerick uh, intermediate Munster medal and um, we'd no 21s we'd no minors I think we won one minor match in the two years that uh, I was minor same 21s I think we won one match in three years um, and that was the all form of where it was about so like when we came into the senior ranks, like gym work, nutrition, all these things were absolutely alien to us, Do you know, you were kind of picking them up as, as you went along really. Um And even when they did start to come into the squad and the, the set of 13s, 14s, 15s, like we still weren't at the level that the, the younger lads, that the, the Kyles, the Toms, the Groads, uh, that they were all exposed to in the academy. Do you know, so like if the the emphasis that Limerick put in the academy has reaped the, the rewards you know, because all those lads were exposed to the 13, 14 years of age of proper gym work, um, proper nutrition, you know, sports psychology. They did everything that you need to just mold the next uh, generational talents. you know, and bring them through. So, and just look, Limerick brought them through. They didn't bring through one or two, they brought through 10 or 11, mm. you know, so.
0: And they brought you to the promised land and you got your All-Ireland medals in 2018 and then the three in a row, And like we always hear it in the speech that it's not just about 1 to 15, but that has to be a, a real thing that it can't even just be about 1 to 26, that it's the 35 lads that are there mm-hmm. and they do buy in and they are the ones who make sure that that culture is in the right place. When the final whistle goes in, in 2018 and you finally get there, what's that moment like for you?
1: It's pure elation. Like, you know, I think straight away through your head every sacrifice that you've probably made every relationship or friendship that you've lost or job even that you may have lost throughout the years you know before even 2018 so you know, it kind of was justification for all that and like straight away there like I went straight to Nikki I think I never sprinted it by the GPS I mean I think Joe Connor was sort of burnt on, on my back but um, I went straight to Nikki like because 2018 we put in an incredible Shift in the two of us that year. Um, Jimmy Quilty was the goal. Even at the time Timmy Jimmy Oulenpo. Like we were meeting Jimmy outside of sessions for Limerick, you know. And I was trying to meet Jimmy myself then outside of sessions that we were doing separately to that, you know. So like you, you had done all the work and you got the reward for it. Like so, I think it was if Nicky were jumping around hugging each other for for five minutes at that <laughs> stage, you know. But um, like it just it was justification for everything really, like you know. And it was probably one of the, excuse me, one of the special moments in my, in my life, like so.
0: There's an incredible selflessness to that. Like you've got your session. You touched on it. You're there already an hour before the session. Yourself and Nicky are having extra sessions. You're having extra sessions on top of that. You've got to be O'Murphy. You've got to be probably James Skehill back in the day and Colin Callanan, Depending on which Galway goalkeeper is going to be there, you've got to know everything about every goalkeeper so you can bring the best out of Nicky Quaid. Like you are sacrificing maybe personal ambition at time to make sure that he is the absolute best he can be for his county. Do you talk about that? Would you have spoken about that about your role and his role through the years, or have you spoken about it since retirement?
1: and uh, Nicky, think like Nicky's extremely humble guy, Nathan. Like at fairness. he would say it, like even sometimes he got all stars, like he'd say, "Oh, that's thanks to yourself and Jason or yourself and David." Like you know, uh, he wouldn't take a whole pile of credit. Um, like if you're looking for the perfect, um, uh, if you're looking for the. perfect person to depict what a Limerick player is it's Nicky like you know in terms of his mannerisms you know and how much of a gentleman he is and then obviously his skill level then and how he looks after himself on the pitch and off the pitch like you know he's the the, the guy that you look to um which I look I I suppose I knew my role was to push him he knew he knew that he couldn't ease off because I was about to literally push him as much as I could yeah you know, and I have, I suppose, as I said, I had no regrets because I know that throughout the years, I have literally thrown everything at him. then there was not one more thing I could have thrown at him. You know, there was no more sense there to give. He literally took everything and he took it on the chin and he kept going. So that's credit to him because, as I said, I left nothing and, you know, no sun unturned for him. Like I tried everything in my power. Yeah, apart from actually hitting him with Hurley, <laughs> and there was a couple of nights that I was going to say stray
0: Hurley, <laughs> stray Hurley on a Thursday night yeah. before a Munster semi-final.
1: Yeah, so there was a couple of nights for a couple of balls and after Hurley on a wet night, and might have hit him in the side of the head, and they are there
0: going on, oh, Jesus,
1: still think no, I'm trying to kill him. But um, but no, look, I threw, as I said, I threw everything at him, and credit to him, like he took it on the chin and he kept going. So,
0: so you you told John Kylie you left the WhatsApp group, the conversation with Nikki. Uh, what was that like? Because. Listen, someone will come in and there's more than two goalkeepers around the squad but it's a hard thing to find someone from the way you're talking who cared about it as much as you did who, who cared about improving yourself and improving him and about Limerick Hurling what was the conversation like with Nicky when you told him you weren't coming back
1: Um, yeah I suppose I caught him in the hop, really because they were going training um, I had kind of hoped to to get the message in a good bit before they have been training but just with everything that happened that day it was kind of uh I kind of sent it in around five o'clock and they were already nearly back at training at that stage and uh, we couldn't really talk much so uh, I knew it was kind of getting to the stage where we were like yeah right Nikki, you need to go in and get set and go for training and don't let your head be melted by all this like you know but um few texts over and back like you know it's, like, he's very appreciative and he's, he said that himself like of everything obviously I've done for him and um, look in terms of fighting someone else that, that cares as much I wouldn't i would not agree with that no I think there's there's a really good guy there Devin McCarthy and in fairness Jamie Powers back in as well after he's sent to Mon like Jamie would have been there in 2019 as well um, like David is an All-Ireland 21 medal as well and he's an extremely driven individual as well you know so like, he's more than capable and so is Jamie and even behind that you said that Jason blander was two All-Ireland medals you go down through it. You've a uh, guy like David Lynch with Croc and Finney, you know, might be playing intermediate, but is more than capable of, of playing at that level. You've like Tomas Lynch with Dune, like John Limerick, have been, are blessed with with the calibre of goalkeepers they're netting and they're blessed throughout the years as well. I don't think you can go back through even the last 20 years of Limerick and pick out a bad goalkeeper that Limerick have had. Like, you know, it just seems to be a position that, that they're fairly solid in. Yeah, uh,
0: there's no doubt about that. Um, for All Ireland medals, uh, something. I'm sure you're incredibly proud of, and you should be incredibly proud of, considering as well what you've gone through over the years. I listened to your Player's Voice podcast that you did with Alan O'Mara, where you spoke incredibly openly about the eating disorder that you battled with, which, you know, I think such honesty that you rarely hear from young men about some of the struggles that they've gone through and the difficulties that you had around food and around weight and the pressure that you put yourself under to look good. I, I'm sure you got a great reaction to that podcast when it came out, and can you talk about firstly what you went through for anyone maybe who didn't hear it? Because you know we do look at intercounty players and you know worship them and look at them as gods and think their life is perfect and they rock up on the pitch and they're super fit and everything is going perfectly for them. It was it was far from the case for you for a long time.
1: Yeah, look, I suppose it was something that kind of developed. Um, mine would have been an episode of bulimia to start, um, and I suppose look, it does leave a mark, and it's probably still it still left a mark up to this day. Where you, know, you still have tendencies and traits that you, you kind of you struggle with on a daily basis or a weekly basis if you don't keep them in check. But um, I suppose in coming towards you in the end of secondary school, um, just said I suppose parents separated, plan a lot of weight, couldn't get the weight off. Resorted to just sticking my fingers back in my throat and um, getting sick on a, a daily and regular basis throughout the day. Um, probably spiralled for maybe three or four years, and just a couple of people, I suppose, had, there weren't interventions as such, but I suppose it was just uh, paranoid early on my part that people were onto me to stage, and the, I suppose the shame that I thought was associated with something like that, and the joy you know, people would be ashamed, your family would be ashamed, you know, you be labelled mm. as kind of um, a problem. And that if you had aspirations of getting in back in the Limerick, like that you you would be a problem and that was standing against you. And, you know, but um, my weight would have fluctuated from nearly 17 stone down to I, I was 10, 12, I think one stage, 11 stone most of the time, um looking just and sick, being honest. Um And yeah, look, it, it was just something that I suppose social media started to kick off and had that that's the narrative in my head that you know you're an elite athlete as such that you need to look a certain way that you know i was reading bodybuilding magazines and very impressionable thinking that's the way i want to look right so that's that's what healthy and fit is when it's not really like you know um and would have tried like when i was in the limerick squads you know you taking supplements taking things like fat burners you know that were just nonsensical stuff like that you were reading in a magazine saying this burns X amount of calories or this burns stubborn body fat or Joe so you were falling hook like line and sinker for all these things. Um and yeah, I just took I took say a, a comment by Kiran Carey, and then I took a comment by Tony Hansen then as well. Uh two fellows I, I highly respect. Um to just uh, kind of the filter around my case and the bulimia side of things kinda of started to stop then from there around the kind of twenty thirteen, got back in at fourteen, but like even from 14 to 16, 17, like even the time that I did play with him right that time in my debut, I think I channeled more um, energy and focus on how I was going to look in a jersey or how I was going to look on television than I did into my actual hurling skills. Um, and I applied more into that, like that you in the gym five days a week, six days a week, you know, you were running the roads, you were... You know, you might have been after winning the match plan or losing the match plan up, and you're inside doing ladder drills inside the ball alley, like, you know, just like using fitness as nearly a, a form of punishment um, than anything else, you know, just punishing yourself.
0: And Barry, when, when you talk about supplements and uh, protein powder and uh, the excesses you were going to with that, were you were you ignoring advice from nutritionists that you would have been working with or was it just at that stage that players were left to your own devices and you know as you say you were you were reading magazines and you were thinking this is the path to follow rather than uh, what most county players would have been doing and talking to nutritionists and, and getting the advice they needed
1: uh, no i suppose at that stage then i wasn't involved in any different squads you know you were kind of out in the wilderness kind of just googling and researching things on your own you know um, and I always had an interest in supplements anyway. Um, it wasn't actually until I come like, into the Limerick Squad that you, you saw the duty of care that's put into that, that area, like, you know, because it is an extremely uh, black and white area of this is what you can take. This is what you can't take, you know. Um, and I suppose from my side, it wasn't, obviously, when I wasn't in the squad, it wasn't for any sort of performance gain. It was just literally the episode that I was going through at the time Um what I suppose over the years. Like We had some very good guys with Joe Connor there, uh, Owen Murray last year. Catherine Norton was involved with someone said, Mark Lyons, and um, Joe had some very good people there from the nutrition side of things that um, really emphasised the importance of, I suppose, proper food and eating real food as opposed to and things. You know, So there was a big influence, like, emphasis actually in, in the last five or six years to you know, really withdraw the dependencies on supplements um, and only if the lads needed them. That's when they were kinda of given, you know. So lads were kind of always encouraged to to eat real food and then as supplements, as its name says, supplement if, if needed, you know. So
0: And was it all day, every day, thinking about how you can look better? Yeah, look, it was it was very consuming, like
1: it was a black hole, you know. I I would likened it to an addiction, you know. Mm. Um it was it was very addictive. Um you know, you started to see results so you started to see the numbers moving in the first episode, um, especially with the bulimia, you saw the numbers going down. And then, you know, when you show the exercise in on top of it, then you start to see the way, the way your body was adapting and changing. But look, it wasn't sustainable. Um, like, it, you couldn't you couldn't carry on that way because, as I said, I spent more time focusing on how I was looking as opposed to my performances. So you know, my performances would have suffered then because of it, like, do you know. So I look back and say, Jesus, if I applied myself as much as I did to how I was mm. looking to my hurling, you never know the world was your oyster." there. So
0: what was it that, that Kieran Carey and Tony Considine said?
1: Okay, Ryan just said to me one night, and, like I was back in the, the squad in 2011, and I was back in the start of the year, just for to on that trial basis. And he just said, Look, I hope that's the end of the way at last. Um, because I'd probably, look, I was very late at that stage. Um, and I was like, Oh, yeah, yeah, Do you know kind of bobbing it off a little bit. Um, and in fairness to Tony, I probably would have had that uh, kind of a, nearly, I suppose, a mini breakdown. At one stage coming home from college actually one time and um tony had been in contact as suppose with my mother at that time as well and my mother had been saying he's drinking seven or eight protein checks a day and explains it and Tony basically said to me in a lovely way that i can't say on the air that uh cop on, basically you know so um did it work just, yeah it did to be fair because look i respect tony a lot you know and tony's seen a lot of hurdles over the years and like he made me feel 10 feet tall and, you know, when he told you what he taught you and how he, how highly he rated you. Like, you know, I just said to myself, like, with all the fellas he's seen over the years, like, that's, that's a glowing statement, like, you know, to, and a really nice thing to hear. So it, it did kind of straighten you out in a little bit, you know. So, um, look, as I said, there's, there's daily battles, there's weekly mm. battles. Um, I'm very lucky that my, my, my wife, Elaine, is she's exceptional. Like, she knows. She knows like if I've not eaten during the day or certain of, busy or whatever, like, you know, she's making sure that I'm eating early before everyone else, you know. So like she she's just brilliant that way.
0: Was it something you had to discuss with your teammates, or was it when Tony Considine and Karen Carey said it's something everybody was sort of aware of? No, even at
1: that, you know, they wouldn't have said it openly. Um would have discussed it at a, a team meeting with Carolyn or a, a, a site team meeting. Um, I think it was in 2018 or 2019. That was the first time I ever went public. With it, you know, so um, in a group setting, and, and like even at that stage, they were the only lads that knew um, the extent and the severity of it. Like, so look, they were very, um, they were very receptive, obviously. To it. You know, they were, there were probably a few lads were probably the older lads were probably disappointed that I felt that I couldn't share it. Um, with him you know, and they were very supportive. Then after that, and even after the, the podcast and the whole lot, and the last couple of weeks and months, like they've been very, very supportive. To be fair to myself,
0: have you got a sense since the podcast as to how prevalent it is with young men? Because quite often the focus is, understandably, on on young girls and particularly in the Instagram generation. But more and more, there's a pressure on young men. To look good and to fit in with that norm that you see uh, in magazines or, uh, or they just look at intercounty players sometimes and think I need to look like that but they're not putting in the same level of training which means mm. they need to have a different diet. Have you, have you had much feedback and uh, got a sense of how big an issue this is around the country?
1: massive because like it's I think the phone blew up there for a couple of days you know and you were trying to get through messages and I was like people had taken time to to message me and I wanted to make sure that I took the time to, to message everyone back that that did message me but it was eye-opening to think that you'd, you people that were in the army to the guards, to you know people that were sports nutritionists with high performing teams um, at elite level sports. Um, contact and you send that they've seen it first hand as well in sports or they've seen it in daily life and then you're getting messages from parents who have a 12 or 13 year old child that are sponsoring something similar at the moment and it's affecting the family member, it's affecting the family and you know so like there's there's loads there's thousands of people no doubt that are suffering with this in silence and i suppose the disappointing thing um that i felt was it took someone that had a couple of medals behind their name to to say something so openly to raise awareness to something that's thousands and thousands of people are suffering with it. And it's, it's wrong, uh, I think, in, in my opinion, that mm. you know, that service isn't there for, for people, you know, so it's not necessarily athletes, it's it's every, it's every everyday Joe Soapes and James, like, you know.
0: Yeah, well, look, I think uh, it's a great thing that someone of your profile has come out and spoken and started a conversation around it, and it's something we should definitely look to continue over the coming weeks and months, because it's obviously not something that people are comfortable sharing uh, all around the country, so, when you look over the next few weeks and months, and you're just at the start of this uh, new part of your life, have you have you had to think long and hard about how you fill the void on on evenings like this? I know there's two young daughters who keep you very busy, but I'm sure there's a large part of you that, you know, there's there's a lot of hours in the day that you'll want to fill now.
1: Yeah, look, I, I suppose I've taken a little time to let the body just rest and recover. I've been very lucky that I haven't come out of the, to come out of this with any sort of an injury or a long-term injury or any sort of an eagle, So i I've, I've been blessed that way. Um, I look forward to spending a little bit of time with the girls and being around so you, know, you can see the difference, especially in Hope, the older the older lady, you can see the difference in her already. Um having me around a little bit more and just look, just playing is a lot of sacrifices to me as well, just making sure that she gets to have some bit of a, a social life now again that's not dictated by four days a week. Um look, I I'll enjoy going back to the club netting as well and I'm playing a little bit of hurling with uh uh Watford IT or S C T U Watford and given at the moment. We were beaten last night unfortunately, so um so yeah so if we've uh, say a knockout match on us with, with uh, CIT or previously known as CIT so, yeah, so that's it's filling given,
0: the void at the if if every time I look at the teams it used to be the uh, 18 and 19 year olds it's full of lads in their 30s these days
1: ah oh, jeez you like, you're game in uh, the system I was taking I was taking the, the wedding ring off going in there last night <laughs> in the OG, so <laughs> <laughs> I what what could I wear that wouldn't uh, that would make me look like a student? So, so yeah, no. Look, Finton O'Connor is the manager down there, and our club manager as well, and I'm doing a I'm doing a masters down there. So, very good. So, yeah, Finton spotted an opportunity and took it. Uh,
0: I was thinking about you leaving it until the night before training to to let John Kylie know, and then I copped. You were waiting to see if Nicky Quaid would retire, and you might know, give it <laughs> another year.
1: <laughs> no, definitely not. Nicky will be there till he's 40, and so if you saw the condition of the men the will man, when Nicky wants to
0: go, Nicky will go on his
1: own terms. There, there'll be no pushing Nicky out the door. So,
0: uh, Barry, thanks a million for joining us. Um, Manny, congratulations on a on a brilliant career and all your honesty as well uh, for all Ireland medals. And I'm sure we'll be hearing lots more from you as well. Barry Hennessy, there. Best of luck, Barry. Thanks, thanks then.